It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Kyle Krabs here, host of Locked On NFL Scouting. Join Joe Marino and me every day as we provide position-by-position analysis of the upcoming NFL Draft. Check out the Locked On NFL Scouting podcast with the Draft Dudes on YouTube or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. Who they think they're going to beat them Bengals? It is the Locked On Bengals podcast with your hosts, Joe Goodberry and Jake Lisko. Find us on Twitter at Joe Goodberry and at Jake underscore NFL. Please like, subscribe, and share as we try to grow this community and pump out daily Bengals content just for you. What up, Bengals fans, and welcome to another episode of the Locked On Bengals podcast. Today, we go over the pro football focus grades and have a bunch of news to update you on from Zach Taylor's Monday press conference. The head story today from Paul Brown Stadium is that the Bengals acquired guard Fred Johnson on waivers from the Pittsburgh Steelers who cut him on Friday last week. Johnson is 6'7", weighs in at 330 pounds, went undrafted. Some analysts had him graded as high as a fourth-round pick. Pittsburgh journalists weren't terribly stoked to see him go. The corresponding move, Kerry Wynn, lands on the injured reserve with a concussion that has been lingering for weeks now. And Johnson is a big, strong right guard. He also played right tackle at Florida During the summer, he played four out of the five positions, excluding center for the Pittsburgh Steelers. They really liked him. The only reason he was cut on Friday was because Mason Rudolph was injured and Jalen Samuels, their H-back, was injured. They had to make a roster move. Uh, Johnson being inactive every game this year was one of the easy cuts, but somebody they did late in the week because they wanted to get a chance to get him back on Monday. Johnson is a very large man, as I mentioned, which actually caused some NFL teams to say he can't play interior offensive line for us at six foot seven. Some see that as a detriment. He has issues with leverage as a result. And he's got really long arms, 34 inch arms, really has the build of a tackle more than anything, but doesn't quite have the athleticism to play there on a regular basis, at least at this point in his career. He'll probably be a backup, but the Bengals do need help at the interior line position. So if he goes in there and practices better than Alex Redmond or whoever it is, if it's Billy Price, so be it. They need to get their best five on the field. In other news, Ian Rappaport reported that Drake Kirkpatrick has a hyperextended knee and is expected to miss a month pending another doctor visit tomorrow. So we'll have an update for you on that later. But this could be potentially good news as it was feared that it could be a major knee injury and maybe miss the entire year. But at the same time, I'd like to see this defense without Kirkpatrick up there, without his peaks and valleys, his uh, uneven play, and maybe the, the defense can be better for it. So they'll be without him for a month. And Zach Taylor today said that Darquez Denard will start practicing, but he was unsure as if he'll be added to the active roster this week. They have six weeks to decide, and Zach Taylor hasn't seen Darquez Denard since Taylor's been the head coach. 
Drake Kirkpatrick is a frequent punching bag for Bengals fans, and some are surely thinking, well, this will make the defense better. I don't think that that is going to be the case, and Dre has been pretty healthy since he had a rough start to his NFL career dealing with injuries and not earning his way onto the field, but since he became a starter in 2015, he hasn't really missed a ton of time, so this will be the first time in quite a while that the Bengals will be without him for an extended period. And it is good timing for Darquez Denard to get back if he can indeed play right away. He hasn't played practice at all with that arthroscopic knee surgery he had in the offseason. So the Bengals are probably looking for a bit of a return on their investment at this point. But if it is BWF, Darquez Denard, and William Jackson out there, at least two out of those three corners will be very physical. And Tony McRae, if he's your fourth guy in the seldom used dime four corner coverage that they go to, That's three out of four guys that you feel pretty good about in terms of their physicality, their willingness to take on guys in the run game. No significant update on A.J. Green, but Zach Taylor did say that he's progressing. We'll see, and hopefully he practices this week on Wednesday. If that's the case, then we could see him this week if everything holds up and responds. Well, if not, it may be the following week when the Bengals take on the Rams in London. This is the first week that Zach Taylor's Monday press conference hasn't been, AJ's not ready yet, AJ's not going to play this week, AJ's not going to practice this week. This is the first time that it's been open-ended to, if he's ready to go, we're ready to have him, right? So the Bengals are hoping to get AJ Green back. Makes a huge difference for this team. They have a 5-12-1 record, I think, when he's not playing, and a 66 66- 44 and one record or something like that when he is playing so it makes a huge difference to this team of course six of those losses coming this year that was a lot closer to 500 but even that is much below their winning percentage when AJ Green is playing makes a huge difference for Andy Dalton forces defenses to play differently and then opens things up for other players and the running game all of which have been struggling to some degree this year. Last bit of news I have is that Billy Price will start again at left guard for the Bengals. This is two weeks in a row. This is his third start at left guard. Uh, He didn't play too well last week. He had his moments, but overall, he's been better than Michael Jordan. And it's another opportunity for Price to win that left guard job. Another shot for Billy Price to prove that he belongs as a first-round draft pick. Is your team eliminated from the playoffs and in need of reinforcements? Maybe it's time for a rebuild, or maybe they're just a player or two away from taking home the Lombardi Trophy. Either way, join Keith Sanchez and Damian Parson for Mock Draft Monday on the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast. They'll tell you which college football stars your team will be taking in the 2024 NFL Draft. Check out Mock Draft Monday on the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. So we're spending more time on this Bengals-Ravens game, 0-6 for the Bengals, and looking at some PFF grades here for the week. And unsurprising to me, I guess I would have expected this because he only got a you know a handful of snaps here, four snaps, but I was looking at the lowest guy on offense is Damian Willis. Highest guy on offense is Auden Tate with an 83, which is a very, very good grade. Um you know, not elite or anything in the 90s. But just looking at the offensive line, because we saw a lot of uh, shuffling and rotation there in terms of John Jerry playing for Andre Smith, who was playing for Cordy Glenn, who was playing for Jonah Williams. Jerry got a 66.7, which is second best on the offensive line, only behind Bobby Hart with a 67, which to me seems crazy. Jake, I know you agree on watching them live. I thought um, they're holding on for their dear life. 
I thought the tackles had a pretty run-of-the-mill day for the Bengals, especially as we talked about yesterday in the fourth quarter when they weren't hidden anymore. They were hidden for most of the game. The ball was coming out lightning quick, and I bet we could go look at Dalton's time to release. In fact, let's do that. So according to PFF, Andy Dalton got rid of the ball on average 2.31 seconds after the snap, which is tied for the third fastest in the NFL this week with Josh Rosen, who is obviously also on a pretty bad team in Miami, and Deshaun Watson in Houston, who's playing behind a generally very bad offensive line. Right. And you want to look at, uh, you know, this week, Dalton was not charged with a pressure or a sack, which is, you know, positive. His The sacks that he did take, the two of them, were in, what, 2.4 seconds, Jake, which is extremely fast, which means your guys are getting beat instantly. And now I think Dalton's near the top of the league now overall for the season in times of uh, in terms of uh, time to sack, which is very quick, which means the guys are just getting blown off the ball. Yeah, he was sacked twice, and it was an average of 2.45 seconds on the time to sack. The only one faster this week was Kirk Cousins, who was only sacked once, and it was 2.2 seconds on the one sack. So not a good look for when the offensive line did get beat. Others that received poor pass-blocking grades, Drew Sample, who was left on an island with a defensive end, a pass rusher, and edge rusher again, and we talked about this one yesterday on the deep look to Alex Erickson where Andy Dalton couldn't really step into it. Some people in my Twitter mentions actually said he should have stepped up into the pocket and then ripped it. I thought hmm. that that would have probably been too late if he has to take a hitch there and then throw it. By the time he throws it, Erickson's at the 10 or something anyway. So if he has to take a step and then throw, I think at that point you're throwing out of the, out of the back of the end zone. I don't think there's enough time to complete the ball. Yeah, I could see that. The other poor grades on the offensive line in terms of pass protection, Billy Price with a 43, even though he was their only good run blocker, with Drew Sample, uh, Drew Sample yeah, also. Had a 75.5 for Billy Price. So uh, Alex Redman also a 45.6. Trey Hopkins a 39.1. This, these are pass blocking grades. Not great for the interior offensive line in terms of holding up um, as pass protectors this week. Yeah, those are grades out of 100. Right. So that's not yeah. great. And you look at Dalton passing under pressure this week. He was pressured on only eight of his dropbacks in this game. And that's again because they're getting rid of the ball so quickly early in the game, so much so that I think when he wasn't under pressure, he was still rushing to get the ball out. And I bet if you go back and watch it, you would see that he was only one for six on those pressured dropbacks. But his one interception actually came when he wasn't pressured. So. Not a great day for Dalton, but also generally, I think the offensive line is just hamstringing the play calling to a severe, severe degree. And by comparison, Lamar Jackson had 27 dropbacks with no pressure. He had 10 dropbacks where he was pressured on those uh, 10 plays. He was three of eight, so he must have run for two of those. So rounding out the offensive grading then, Alec Erickson graded pretty well, had a few nice catches, was serviceable as a backup wide receiver as we've seen from him he was playing on the outside a lot in this game since they've got Tyler Boyd of course in the slot and speaking of Boyd his worst game in quite a while for PFF grading out way below average in the 40s not a great look for him Alex Redmond in relief we talked about that already not great so really for the offensive line, the tackles graded well for PFF, but again, this was something that I thought was hidden pretty well throughout the game. I thought they were bad when they actually had to block. And the rest of the offensive line, also just not very good. So 
by and large, the offense still struggling with blocking, couldn't get the run game going at all, and the backups or replacements that came in weren't much better. One thing of note, Gio Bernard had 32 snaps on offense versus Joe Mixon's 29 snaps. Did you notice? No. I mean, I, I kind of felt it was 50-50, but really after a while, I what, we noticed Mixon on one play, that one catch? That's about it. So let's talk about Gio Bernard for a second here, right? Because he is the 10th highest paid running back going by cap hit in the NFL. He was on the field for more than 50% of the Bengal snaps this week. And what, he get a couple carries, maybe one, two targets? Not really seeing him very much. Looking at the guys ahead of him on the list, well, they're not having great years either. Guys like Todd Gurley, Le'Veon Bell, Leonard Fournette, Lamar Miller. Pretty good argument to not pay running backs here. Yeah, that's a good point, and we're going to have that probably argument in the offseason when it comes to Joe Mixon, and if he doesn't play much better than he currently is, and I know the O-line sucks, but, um, I mean, he's not making anything happen either, so he's going to have a a tough argument or an uphill battle there. Worth noting that there are some running backs with huge raises already on the books for next year. Todd Gurley, Le'Veon Bell, 17 and 15 million apiece. David Johnson up to 14 million. Ezekiel Elliott gets up to 11 million. And due to other contracts and the structures thereof, Giovanni Bernard's salary rank actually falls to 14th in 2020, so down from 10 because of the way these contracts have escalators in them. And Gio actually has a smaller cap hit next year than this year. Yeah, and I don't want to defend Gio's uh, contract because obviously they're not using them. It's a giant waste of money right now, but that's amongst veteran running backs, which there may be only 15 good veteran running backs as it is. So uh, that doesn't seem so bad when you look at it that way. And a few of the rookies that were picked high, Christian McCaffrey and Saquon Barkley ahead of Gio as well. And before we go too far, I wanted to get back to the offensive line, looked at who PFF charged with pressures. Billy Price was charged with three of them. John Jerry was charged with three pressures. Drew Sample won, Alex Redmond won, Trey Hopkins won. So Bobby Hart, not with a pressure. I actually would like to go back and see when the last time that happened, but he was uh, held one penalty on the day. John Jerry was credited for both sacks on Andy Dalton. According to PFF, Bobby Hart only gave up one pressure last week against the Cardinals, but the last time he gave up zero pressures, week five of 2018 against the Miami Dolphins in what was one of his better graded games in his Bengals career. Makes sense. This was a decent game for him, too, in terms of grades. So, um, yep, he has one of these every year, it seems. Only the second time in his career that he's played an entire game without giving up a pressure. And I'm with you. I want to go back and take a look and see what was going on with Bobby Hart in this game because this is two pretty solid games of pass blocking for PFF. And again, I'm going to say this for like the fifth time on this podcast. I think it's because the ball's coming out so quickly. They've got him pretty well hidden for most part. But if this is what you're going to get from Bobby Hart, then it is not any longer the top of my priority list, right? Because if he's going to be decent in pass protection... That's one pressure in two games given, not against the best pass rushers in the NFL. Baltimore does not have a pass rush this year. Arizona did, but they're still not a very good defense. Interesting to see how this holds up when they start playing some of the better teams. Like against Pittsburgh, he was a disaster. Seven pressures, two sacks against TJ Watt, one of the more developed, better pass rushers in the league. Yeah, so if they can get league average play, um, right tackle play out of Bobby Hart, I think uh, we could 
go into the offseason and say, well, let's figure out one of these guard spots first and foremost and then use Jonah at left tackle. And you'd feel a little bit better about this offensive line. But uh, when we come back, let's look at this defensive side. What do you think, Jake? I guess so. Do we have to? I guess we should. We should be equal. Equal to the two bad parts of this team. Because special teams caught a touchdown this week, you might remember. Is your team eliminated from the playoffs and in need of reinforcements? Maybe it's time for a rebuild, or maybe they're just a player or two away from taking home the Lombardi Trophy. Either way, join Keith Sanchez and Damian Parson for Mock Draft Monday on the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast. They'll tell you which college football stars your team will be taking in the 2024 NFL Draft. Check out Mock Draft Monday on the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. So on to the defensive side, two guys I'm definitely going to be looking at in my rewatch when I write for The Athletic, Carl Lawson and Jermaine Pratt, both played a whole bunch this week, probably career high for Lawson, I'd imagine, with 61 snaps. And Jermaine Pratt with 30. But one guy I thought that looked really good live, I'll have to go back and watch because PFF wasn't as happy with him. And Jake, you didn't sound so happy, actually, when uh, we talked after the game. But 77 snaps, Jesse Bates, he got a 58-grade run defensive of 50. He's a good tackler at 70, but really, overall, that wasn't much to uh, write home about. So not as good as I originally expected. There were a couple plays when I thought he could have taken a better angle especially on some Lamar Jackson runs, the touchdown run early in the game. I thought he could have gotten there a little bit earlier, recognized it a little bit earlier, but instead he doesn't get there until they're at the pylon, essentially. There are a few plays like that that I thought weren't necessarily great, but his coverage grade was a little bit better. I'm not sure I agree with the final line. PFF has him giving up one catch for three yards for one catch on three targets, sorry, for 10 yards with a pass breakup to his credit, and they only have him at a 62 grade, so Hmm. not too sure where the rub is there. Maybe he was responsible for Willie Sneed on that one overthrow from Lamar Jackson, but I feel like it was a better game for Jesse Bates. I think, yeah, we'll have to go back and look at the run defense grades. Maybe it was just a product of him being late to react, but the Ravens do make it hard. Lamar Jackson, and this was pointed out in the broadcast, really does extend that mesh point as long as possible doesn't pull the ball out of the running back's belly until the defense has really declared itself which is what you want your quarterback to do in that situation but it does make it hard to defend and they're throwing in the pre-snap motion to misdirect as well so it, it, I, I can get that it's hard to diagnose from the second level third level but if if Jesse Bates is late to react from the free safety spot I can see that hurting his grade a little bit and like Auden Tate on the offensive side Sam Hubbard was really the only guy with a good grade of nearly an 82 with an 82 against the run and a 76 from rounding up in tackling. So Sam Hubbard uh, playing 67 snaps, really being that point man with Carlos Dunlap out on the edge, uh, did his job and had a good day. The top five guys outside of Hubbard were Fedulam, who only had 16 snaps, William Jackson, Brandon Wilson, and Josh Tupau. Yeah, and I thought William Jackson had a solid day in coverage as well. There was the one, again, that same Lamar Jackson rushing play, rushing touchdown on the left side that I'm thinking about where he just gets blocked all the way into the end zone. Not a great What play is that like? Didn't Jackson just give up a touchdown similarly? That was to Kyler Murray. Yeah, it was uh, not exactly the same, but, you know, a quarterback running to to his side and taking him on at the goal line. Yeah. But he did make a couple other plays in, in the run game. He must have to earn the grade that he earned. And 
I think it's interesting. Brandon Wilson, great coverage grade, really bad tackling grade. PFF has him missing two tackles and I would totally buy it. But I think that if in 55 coverage or sorry, 25 coverage snaps out of 55 snaps, if you can put up that kind of coverage grade, Brandon Wilson has probably earned a little bit more playing time. It's nice to Mm -hmm. see these backup safeties getting onto the field because they're probably a little bit better than the linebackers. I mean, you look at the linebackers in this game. Preston Brown in the 50s again, a little bit better for Nick Vigil. Like you said, he was all over the field, but he still missed four tackles, according to PFF, which is absolutely mind-blowing. And I can remember at least two or three of them. So he ends up, you know, in the 60s with a 31 pass uh, tackling grade. Yeah, he leads the team in tackles again because that's what Nick Vigil does. And he gets four misses, like you said, but five defensive stops. And that's kind of how he's been through the last two years, where he's getting a high rate of defensive stops, but... He's just missing so many tackles. You do. You ever wonder if it's ever going to get fixed with him? Well, this is what we expected coming into the year is that there will be some tackling issues. I wasn't expecting him to have so many issues just getting to the play. And right. that had been the issue this year. I think it was still the issue this year in the run game because I think his diagnosis skills and his ability to figure out who actually has the ball. And this is the whole defense. So I'm not singling out Vigil here. Hasn't been what it needs to be. And, you know, maybe this is a product of the QBs they've played. They've played all of the premier rushing quarterbacks in the NFL. They've played Kyler Murray. They've played Lamar Jackson. They've played Russell Wilson. They've played Josh Allen. So who's left, right? Who else can run the ball out there that they haven't played? So maybe it gets a little bit easier for them from here on out until they play Buffalo again in terms of defending the run. I thought they had a decent plan for the run this week, and it was just they just didn't have the speed to handle Lamar Jackson. They couldn't tackle him in tight quarters, except Josh Tupo making that open field tackle. Tupo credited with four defensive stops on his four tackles, had a really good tackling grade. He was out there for 41 snaps, though, and was mostly hidden in the pass rush, but he's not who you want in the field when you need to pass rush. The Bengals did a good job with that. He was only out there for nine pass rush snaps, but I thought Tupo had a really solid game, and I'm glad that they kept him. This is what we talked about with him in the preseason. Right. And bottom four guys in terms of grade, Preston Brown at a 52, Rennell Wren at a 51. Wren continues to be a um, a bad grader or get bad results from PFF. And to be honest, I haven't noticed him too much out there. Andrew Brown with a 46 and a half. And the bottom guy, surprising to me because I, I liked a lot of what he did when I wasn't focusing on him, was Jermaine Pratt with a 32 grade. Yeah. And we're going to have to go back and look at this. We already went back and looked at one play. He was deemed responsible for the big 39-yard catch to Mark Andrews that ends up the play Drake Kirkpatrick gets hurt on. And we went back and watched that play, and we had a pretty hard time deciphering whether or not the coverage was man or zone because you watch Pratt drop with, with Andrews, and Andrews kind of runs to the middle of the field and then cuts hard outside. And it's a late developing flag flag play, sideline play, corner route, whatever you want to call it. And Pratt kind of, he gets faked out for sure. But then instead of trying to recover and then run with Andrews to the sideline, he kind of stops and turns around and looks back at the quarterback as if he's dropping into the Tampa 2, the deep middle linebacker zone of a cover 2. You look at some of the other players on the field, underneath you've got Nick Vigil running across the formation. Sorry, William Jackson running across the formation with Boyle, the tight end. So that looks like man. On the outside, it looks like man. It looks like you have one one deep cover safety in the middle of the field. That's Jesse Bates. 
And so the linebackers maybe are spying. It was kind of hard to tell, right? Maybe Nick Vigil is responsible for Mark Ingram leaking out of the left side of the formation, but hard to tell what Jermaine Pratt's responsibility is there. He was either totally lost or maybe had to have the wherewithal to know there's nobody else that's going to cover that zone. So if there's an outbreaking route there, maybe he's looking back to see, is there anything coming underneath that I need to see before I go out there? But then at that point, it's too late. Yeah, and this was a big issue for the Bengals the last couple of years on defense, and they would play everyone in man and keep the linebackers in zone, which is okay if the ball is going to be out quickly and your pass rush is going to get there. When it doesn't, you end up with, especially against play action, and there was play action on this play too, it'll suck up the linebackers a little bit, everyone will be going deep or or the routes will be going deep, and it leaves this huge void between the linebackers and the secondary at that point. And I thought, well, they won't keep doing that with a new defensive coordinator. And yet here we are doing it again. And it's probably because, like you said, they were trying to keep an eye on Lamar Jackson and wanted to spy him. Zach Taylor even said it after the game. They did have a spy on Jackson. It just didn't do anything when he's the best athlete on the field. And in this case, it ended up leaving a huge wide open zone. So I'm with you. I don't know if Pratt's just doing his job and it's just a terrible defensive call or design. And it's not terrible. It, 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 when it works, it works. A lot of defenses use it. It's just when it doesn't work, you're leaving a guy wide open. Well, you've got Jordan Evans on the field out there too. So maybe Evans is supposed to get a little bit more depth in his zone. But even if he does, I mean, that's still a pretty big gap because they've got a yeah. clear out route on the right that's exactly side. exactly it. They've, yep. they've, got, they've got the go route on, on the right outside wide receiver and then Mark Andrews is running a corner to that vacated spot from the corner. There's no way your cover one safety is getting there. And if he does, well, now you're taking that deep shot to a one-on-one wide receiver, especially if it's Marquise Brown who didn't play yesterday, but if it is, then you're going deep. So if Bates goes with Andrews there, a, he's not going to get there in time. B that opens up the deep go for what is likely a touchdown. And then if Evans, even if he gets deeper, more depth in his zone, I think that's still too big of a window. So it's potentially just a good play call for the situation. You look at the pre-snap alignment, Jordan Evans is a guy that's over Andrews at the snap, and he kind of points and hands off Andrews to Jermaine Pratt. So if that is a matchup zone kind of thing where Pratt needs to react and go with him, he sort of starts to do the job, and then it's hard to know what happens after that. So I I would love to hear from Pratt maybe like what the responsibility was there if he was in man if he was supposed to be playing cover two but I don't think we'll ever get that answer maybe we can interview him this week maybe we can ask for uh he or Nick Vigil or something and get a linebacker out there because Vigil's the one out there calling the defensive huddle when on the field um and so I another bad defensive showing I'm looking at the overall grades now for the year nobody's outside of Darius Phillips. He just doesn't have enough snaps at 23 snaps, but over, I'd say let's set the bar to about 150 snaps or so. Uh, the highest graded guy is Geno Atkins at a 72.5 and a 72 is solid, but not good. You know, it's, it's like that should be your fifth or sixth or seventh best guy. Not, not your number one. It's really indicative of the issues they're having this year. Uh, the only good tacklers too, is if you, Sort it based on tackling. Clayton Fedulum with an 83. B.W. Webb with an 83. Jermaine Pratt with an 82. I mean, these are backup or role guys. I know Webb plays a lot, and maybe we'll see him uh, even more now on the outside with Drake or Patrick going to be out for a while. So it'll be interesting to see if those three guys get more playing time for a team that really can't seem to tackle. B.W. Webb and Dark Hesnard, like you said, couldn't hurt in that area. 
mm-hmm. but they're not going to get any help at the linebacker position. And so this is what we're going to have to live with for the rest of the year. Missing Carlos Dunlap, not great for the defensive line and getting hands on guys at the first level. So you saw a lot of guys getting to the second level. We saw, like I said yesterday, Tony McRae and Clayton Fedgelin come free off of blitzes, safety blitz up the middle, corner blitz off the right side. And instead of just running through Lamar Jackson, they're worried they're going to get shook. So they jump and try to get the ball down. And Lamar Jackson has wherewithal not to throw it, step around him and make a play. So could be unique matchup kind of stuff. Lamar Jackson's really good, but it's tough to see the Bengals just struggle that much with tackling just all year. It's tough to see the same stuff every week. This is very reminiscent of last year when the offense couldn't get anything going. The defense was on the field the whole game. They're getting gassed by the end of the game, and it's just hard to watch as a football fan. And I'm looking at all rookie defensive or linebackers uh, from this past draft class, and Jermaine Pratt now with 64 snaps is moved into number 12 most snaps for rookie linebackers, which he was, what, the fourth or fifth guy drafted. Uh, he should be a little bit higher than that. But looking at his tackling grade, again, it's number one amongst all rookies. So there's something there, I guess. He's got a pretty funny tackling technique, too, in my opinion. He has really strong hands, I think. So he just kind of grabs a guy and he throws all of his weight to the ground and pulls a guy down with him. If you would have stopped after a funny tackling technique, I would have described it the exact same way. Like he <laughs> just latches on and falls, right? Like I, like you're not going to get away from me. And he kind of swings himself in circles at times and just till the guy just gives up. Which is interesting because when we watched his college tape, I feel like you and I both remember he hit with a lot of power. Oh, yeah. And now in the NFL, he's I'm not seeing the power quite as much. Obviously, the strength is still there, but he's not hitting with that kinetic force, right, that you saw him hit with. In college, he's much more of a, I have an iron vice grip. Right. You're not going to get out of my hands. I think part of that is running full speed, right? In order to have that kinetic power, you need to be able to play fast, play hard. And once you can do that by mentally knowing what you're doing, that's when it all comes together. I think it's probably also a bit of a coaching thing, a safety thing. Keep the head up. And I thought he did a great job of keeping his head up at NC State, uh, seeing what he was hitting. But the NFL is... Hard to make those, you know, elite athletes. Guys are moving at the last second all the time. So, yeah, we'll go back and watch Jermaine Pratt. I'm interested to see um, Jesse Bates as well. Those two guys would be really interesting to read about in the film review. And just what the Bengals are doing at the back end. This has been a common question on Twitter. And I think it's something that I want to look at a lot when they play the Rams, who are going to throw to receivers a lot in two weeks. Maybe against Jacksonville to some degree. I think Jacksonville is going to be a little bit limited in terms of scheme compared to L.A. with Gardner Minshew out there. Not that I'm going to mm-hmm. ever speak ill of Gardner Minshew, but uh, it'd be interesting to see what the Bengals do in the secondary against the Rams. Yeah, especially with a rookie quarterback, right? Minshew's playing well, but will they try and mix some things up a little bit more than I think they have pre-snap, post-snap? And if they can, try and confuse them a little bit, get them to throw a couple balls. I mean, they only have two interceptions on the year now. You're not going to win many games if you don't get your hands on the ball on the defensive side. Yep. That's going to do it for this episode of the Lockdown Bengals podcast. We'll be back tomorrow with Joe doing the crossover Wednesday episode and my opening soliloquy as you've gotten used to on Wednesdays. Until then, Bengals fans, have a good one. If you're looking for the most comprehensive NFL draft coverage this offseason, look no further than the Lockdown NFL Scouting Podcast. 
Join the draft dudes, Kyle Krabs and Joe Marino, as they go position by position through the NFL free agent class and into the star-studded crop of college stars who will be selected in the 2024 NFL Draft. If you want to know who your favorite NFL team should be adding to its roster, you need to check out Locked On NFL Scouting. Available on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. Is your team eliminated from the playoffs and in need of reinforcements? Maybe it's time for a rebuild, or maybe they're just a player or two away from taking home the Lombardi Trophy. Either way, join Keith Sanchez and Damian Parson for Mock Draft Monday on the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast. They'll tell you which college football stars your team will be taking in the 2024 NFL Draft. Check out Mock Draft Monday on the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day.